Anybody in this house need a miracle? Anybody in this house need a healing? Anybody in the house need a need supplied? God specializes in needs supplied. He specializes in healing, specializes in impossibilities. Have you ever in your life had God doing something for you that was impossible any other way? Has God ever made a way when there was no way? Has God ever been there when everyone else walked away? Have you ever took a stand when it meant standing by yourself? Amen. Have you ever carried on when carrying on meant going on by yourself? Well, that's what life is like, and life is kind of beset and bereft oftentimes of those kind of situations in our life. I want to talk to somebody this morning that's carrying on alone, that's carrying a burden, carrying it by themselves, that sometimes wonders, why am I doing this? That sometimes wonders, where's God in all of this? That sometimes blames themselves and says, why is all this happening? Surely I've messed up some way. You know, Job's friends looked at him and they said, surely you have done something really bad. Surely you have really messed up in a tremendous way for God to be doing to you. All your children are gone, killed in a terrible storm that came and blew the house down on all of them while they were having supper and said it killed every one of them. All of you herds, your, your camels, your, your donkeys, your sheep, everything you've got. All your wealth is just gone. It's vanished. And now you're sitting here a broken, sick man with boils all over you. You stink so bad no one can get close to you. You're, you're horrible. Why in the world? You must have really offended God in some way for you to be like you are. And he said, I have not declined to walk in his path. And I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The Lord is the strength of my life, and I know that my Redeemer lives. And though he slay me, yet will I serve him. What Job was saying was, no, God has so much higher knowledge than what I've got. And I don't understand why, and I don't understand all that's going on. I cannot explain reasons for it. I can only tell you that my Redeemer lives and that when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Isn't that great? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. What a testimony by a man we call the, the man of patience. The patriarch, Job. The man who refused to become bitter and refused to to charge God. The Bible said, neither did he charge God foolishly, nor did he sin with his mouth. Boy, that's the big temptation, isn't it? Because that unruly thing that God put a fence around called teeth, to try to keep it from being so unruly, brother, it can just create chaos, can it? Boy, 
They say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Who are you kidding? Boy, words can crush you to nothing. Words can injure you and pierce you all the way through. Words can, can cause you to remember the pain and the sorrow and the ache for decades and years to come. There are people that are sitting right here today that someone hurt many years ago. And you can recall every word of that conversation. You can quote it verbatim. You quote it many times and quote it often and still carry it around. And I want you to know that God is here today to take that hurt and that pain and that sorrow and apply it to the cross of Calvary and bring you deliverance and healing and deliverance from that pain and that hurt and that sorrow. Someone told me this last week that was a person was correcting a child and call it a, you fool. Boy, you, you know, if you keep telling children they're a fool and keep telling children that they're ignorant and they're stupid and they're ugly and all of these hurtful things, they wear those labels a lot longer than you think and they take them to heart a lot more seriously than you think. And those wounds go very, very deep. And they fight against that, that battle with their image and their self-esteem after being beat down for so many times by that kind of attack verbally. And that verbal abuse, it's wrong. I said it's wrong and it's sinful. It's sinful for us to talk to anyone in those kind of terms. The Bible said, that if anyone used that term and called a man a fool, they were in danger of hell. What, thank you for that amen. That's a man who knows that's preached long enough to tell you I got that scripture right. It is right, and we shouldn't talk uh, abusively to, to anyone. There are many people that carry burdens and heartaches and sorrows. I want to know that our Lord Jesus has carried Hallelujah. He has carried on alone. He has taken on the sins of the whole world. I love that part in the song at Christmas time, Susan, that says, Mary, did you know that the one you now carry will one day carry you? The one you now carry will one day carry you. And when she delivered the Lord Jesus and we Praise God for that wonderful story of the incarnation and how he grew and how, how he became a, a, a great, great person, great man and grew up to know the Lord and serve the Lord because he was the Lord and he was God. He knew the law because he wrote the law. And he gathered disciples around him that began to carry the Lord Jesus around with them. Amen. And Jesus followed, and Jesus went with them. And the Bible said they, they ministered. And in the fifth chapter of the book of John, the Bible talks about some good news and bad news. The good news is ministry is really picking up for Jesus. The good news is people are being healed. Good news is paralytics are getting up and walking. Good news is lepers are being cleansed. Good news is 
things are going great for Jesus, but for John the Baptist, he was locked in a prison and beheaded and killed. One ministry flourishing, one ministry ending. And sometimes we look at these situations and we just scratch our head and wonder what in the world is, is going on. Let's read in chapter 6 of John. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great, I hear Debbie saying, been there. <laughs> That's a little funny we've got, pardon me. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, which is the feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he was doing. Philip answered and said, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, and every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith to him, There is a lad here, Lord, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And now there was much grass in that place. Mark said there was much green grass in that place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, somebody say filled. When they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Hmm. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten, carrying something alone. You may be providing for your family, or you may be carrying something in your heart that isn't known, or carrying a burden that no one else seems to care about. You've heard me preach about many times when God comes to your aid and comes to your rescue when you realize that He is all you got. I often say when God becomes all you've got, then He will be all you need. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. When he becomes all you've got, he will be all that you'll ever need. Now, Jesus has become his, began his public ministry, but John's ministry has ended, as I said earlier. You see, something may be getting good news in one ear and bad news in the other. You ever had that happen? It seemed like every time you'd hear some good news, you wouldn't take two steps until you got some bad news. Well, this life is full of just those kind of situations. There are good times and there are bad. But I just try to stay balanced and bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, he said. I often say, in good times, praise his name. And in bad times, do the same. You've heard me say it so many times you can quote it. That's what I want to happen. Yeah is that when I say it, you finish it for me. That's exactly right. 
because you become so familiar with it, then you can use it. Bless the Lord at all times. No wonder the Bible said, David said, I will bless his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And Romans 8, 28 says this, all things. How many things are all things? You mean all things? All things work together. There's some chemistry there. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Who are the called according to his purpose. Purpose, calling, all things, then bad things, sorrowful things, hurtful things, work for our good just like good things, pleasant things, joyous things. All things are working together. The verb is imperfect, showing continuous action. That means you put an I-N-G on the end of it. Are working. All things are working for good to people who love the Lord. Wow. Then that, that should encourage us to know that whatever we're going through, big or small, however it may be, it's working for our good. And you know, God can turn around bad things and make it good. You remember when Joseph saw his brothers and they understood and recognized him finally? He, he made this confession. You meant it as evil for me, but God meant it for good. Woo! You mean we can take something that, that the devil has meant to injure us and hinder us and stop us and hurt us and that God can turn that into something that is good and wholesome and healthy and blessed for us? Oh, God grant it. God grant it. Because there is so much evil and hurt and pain in the world. Wouldn't it be great if God could just take all of that and turn it into something good for us? Well, the disciples and Jesus are in a situation, the Bible said, when he's retreated. Did you get that? When they had retreated and the multitude followed him and they saw his miracles, which he'd done on them that were diseased, and Jesus went up into a mountain and there he sat with the disciples. He loved to go to the mountains. Now, I don't care a thing in the world about going to the mountains. Go if you want to to watch leaves turn colors. If that cranks your tractor, then you get up there to where those leaves. There's enough leaves in my front yard to satisfy my desire to watch leaves turn colors. You're welcome. Amen. Debbie loves to go to the beach. I don't retreat to the beaches either. The sand is hot. The weather's hot. I'll bring her blanket out there and quilt and put it down. I'll put the tent up. I'll carry the cooler. I'll do all of those things. Just don't make me stay there. It's hot and it, I don't like it. So I wouldn't retreat to a mountain and I wouldn't retreat to the beach. Go ahead if you want to go. She regularly goes. Get with her and get a trip up. Y'all have fun. But Jesus usually retreated 
to a, a, a mountain. The Bible said he went into the mountain to pray. In fact, when he got through here from this mountain and this experience, the Bible said he sent the disciples to the other side of the, of the lake, and he went up into the mountain to pray. Well, now here Jesus has gone up into the, to the mountain to, to pray, and he looks up and sees people coming. A bunch of people. Not just one or two, but a bunch of them. A multitude. In fact, there's 5,000 men. Now, most of them men's either got a, a wife or a girlfriend. So double it up and it becomes 10,000. And most Middle Eastern folks had kids. So there's probably two or three in the family. So we done got to 25,000 here. Now, Jesus is at retreat. And here comes 25,000 wanting to see another miracle, wanting to see another healing, wanting to see another, another person raised from the dead, wanting to see another leper cleansed, wanting to see another paralytic get up and run and walk, looking to see Jesus do something that the Bible said they followed him. Why did they follow him? For the miracles that he did. They didn't follow him because they liked his preaching. They liked him because of the entertainment. Come on, somebody. They just liked being around where it was a good exhibit. It was a really entertaining, pardon me for saying, it was a good show. How many people do you reckon follow the Lord for the wrong reason. Did you know there, I asked a guy one night at one of those singings, all night scenes, they used to call them. And I asked a guy, I said, Are you, do you go to church? Where do you go to church? He said, well, I, I go over to Mount Pleasant. I said, oh, good. How long have you been a Christian? He said, oh, I'm not a Christian. I said, you're not a Christian, but you go to church? He said, yep, sure do. I said, well, if you're not a Christian, you're not saved, but you go to church and you come out here to a singing, why do you do that? I just like it. I just like to hear them sing. I just like what goes on at church. How mercy. Got saved on his deathbed, I later learned. But I lived his whole life in church, listening to preaching. He liked it. And he went just because he liked the singing, liked the music, liked the preacher, just liked it. But never thought about accepting the message and receiving the Lord and getting saved and changing life. Come on, somebody. It's possible to sit here in this place and go to hell. It's possible to sit here Sunday after Sunday, listen to the preaching, listen to them sing, and be lost. It's possible. And the Bible said, and the multitudes followed him because of the miracles that he did. Oh, God help us 
not that we've got to be entertained, but we walk by faith, not by sight. It's not something that marvels our eyes. It's something that touches our heart and warms our heart. And we walk by faith, not by sight. Somebody say amen to that. That's pretty good preaching. Jesus has gone into this place to retreat. And here comes 25,000 his way. Now, I imagine the disciples probably looked up and said, Oh, no. We just clocked out. We've been planning this retreat from a long time. My Lord, what more do they want? We've walked all over the place. We're up here 90, 100 miles above Jerusalem. My goodness, we're a long way from home. We're up here on this retreat with the Lord. And here comes a bunch of people wanting ministry. Man, it's got to where it's just ministry in the daytime, ministry in the nighttime, ministry on the roadside, ministry at the well, ministry everywhere we turn around. And we come up here to get a little rest, and here comes a big bunch of people, 25,000 of them. But the Bible said, but when Jesus saw them, he was moved with compassion for them. <laughs> moved with compassion for them. You see, what happened was the disciples saw the group. They saw the big bunch of people coming. But Jesus saw everyone. And when he saw everyone, he realized that in that big crowd of people that are coming, there are people that are hurting. There are people that have sorrow. There are people that have needs. There are people that need healing. There are people, and though the disciples didn't understand, they were, they were standing around making excuses, and Jesus was filled with compassion. Wow, filled with compassion for them. In other words, as, as I look sometimes at that lens, when we were doing television ministry, I, I would preach and I would oftentimes look into that lens. And you know that every, every service, that at the end of the, end of the service, I would look and lead everyone that was watching by television. Because though there was six, seven, eight hundred at that time in our service, I'd look at that lens, not realizing with, with you, but... I would know that behind that lens there may be two or three million people that would be watching. Wow. And could I tell you Jesus saw every one of them. Every one of them. Every one of them. So that when this people got near, Jesus looked at them and he saw needs and he saw opportunity to, to minister. And Jesus made the statement. He said, what we need to feed these people. Turn to Philip and he said, we need to fill the, feed these people. We need to feed these people. He said, how can we make this, this happen? How many of you are overpackers? Chicken. Wouldn't raise your hand because you don't know what I'm going to do with that, do you? 
Well, I'll just tell you this. I am married to the biggest overpacker in the world. Brother, when we go to General Assembly, it's what, four nights. It takes 22 pair of shoes to go to church four nights. What are the se sessions in the daytime? What we got? Maybe five or six sessions in the day. It takes 25 dresses to go to church five times. We overpack. The car is full of Debbie's clothes. When she flies to go in and work, and she installs record keeping for hospitals, when she flies off like that, we have to weigh her luggage. Because if she gets over 75 pounds, is it, sis? 50. That's for one, though. She's probably got three. They allow a carry-on. Whatever they allow is what she does. Whatever within an ounce of being illegal, she pushes the limit. Because she knows that I, she said, I said, why do you need I said, I just need to make a choice. I might not feel like wearing that dress today. I may want to wear this one. I said, you can't decide today what you would wear next Thursday or next Friday. No, it depends on waking up that day. I'll tell you how I feel about it that day. So she's what I call an overpacker. Well, sadly enough, they didn't have any overpackers in this 25,000. They must have just heard about Jesus and dropped whatever they were doing and made a beeline for the retreat because they didn't have anything. And Jesus looked at Philip and he said, Philip, he said, we, we need to feed these people. We've got to do something. We're not near any kind of a place to, to buy anything or get anything. He said, we've got, to, we've got to find out how this is going to work out. And I, I, I see Philip as he starts scratching his head. And, and you want to say, well, it's a fine time to start trying to feed somebody now. That boat has already left the port. I mean, it's, it's too late now to do anything about that. Have you ever had that discussion with God? Well, Lord, it's too late now. Why didn't you tell me before? Come on, somebody. Why didn't you let me know before? Why didn't you, you tell me that this pandemic was coming? If you'd have told me this pandemic was coming, I'd have been prepared more for it. God, why didn't you tell all us preachers that we're going to have a couple of years when we couldn't get within six feet of one another and couldn't have church and couldn't lay hands on nobody and couldn't anoint with oil and couldn't baptize and couldn't do communion. Lord, why didn't you tell us that was coming? If you'd have, if you'd have told us about it, we'd have made some plans. We'd have made some. But now you've waited too late. Why are you waiting now to tell us? How many of you have had that conversation with God? Yeah, I see a lot of them. Well, Lord, I prayed about that for a long time, but He's done left now. If you'd have told me that he was going to do that, 
I'd have prepared and I wouldn't have got hurt so bad. Now he's left. He's already gone. It's too late now. Come on, somebody. Hang on. I'm going to bless you in just a few minutes. You'll, you'll recover from that one. When he told Philip, he said, Philip, we need to feed these people. Now, Philip is a calculator. He's a calculator. You see, what God wants us to know is that just because we don't think God arrived in time and we don't know how, what God's plan is, he may not tell us what he has in mind, but that does not mean that he doesn't know. You see, God said, I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plan. You may not know the plan. You may think that God doesn't know the plan. And you may not know what God's got in mind. But God wants you to know that the plan that he's got for you, he knows the plan. And he says this to you. The plans that I have for you are good plans. Hallelujah. You see, sometimes we want to hang on to some things that God said you ought to got rid of a long time ago. Sometimes we want to hang on to some situations and some relationships that God said you'd have been better off if you just kissed that baby goodbye. Amen. There's some th things in, in our lives that God leads us down paths that we don't really understand and we don't know the full details. But if we could just get it through our head, He knows the plan. I don't know the plan, but He knows the plan. And the plan, He said Himself, is a good plan. It's good for me. Whatever God says is good for me, it's good for me. And help me to turn loose of everything that's not good for me. And help me to say goodbye to everything that God knows would hurt me and keep me from doing the things that God wants me to do in my life. God help me to let go of what needs to be let go of and to hold on to what I need to hold on to. And God give me the wisdom to know the difference. Well, that's good preaching. Philip, he said, you, you do, the, do the counting for us. He was a good calculator. He must have been pretty close to the business part of the thing, Philip was, because he was a guy that could size up the situation. What do you think the attitude of Jesus was this? I believe the personality of Jesus was fully man and fully God enough that when he asked Philip in John's gospel, what are we going to do to feed all of these people? Another translation says, where are we going to buy enough bread? Enough. That's a, that's a popular word right now in pop culture. I don't know if you know that. In this individualistic world that we're living in, uh, pop culture would tell you, you are enough. You don't need God. You're enough. Enough. 
Just be yourself. Use the talents and gifts that you've got, and you'll make it fine. You don't need a, a, a Christian witness or a cross or a God to lean on. You are enough. Well, I need to tell you before we go any further with this message, you're not enough. You were never intended to go it alone. God would love for you to cast your care upon Him because He cares about you. God would love for you to reach the place where you could say to Him, God, I want to live my life with you. I want you to be pleased with my life. I want you to help me make decisions. I want you to help me, God, to be strong and to stand up against the things that I need to stand up to and endure what I need to endure. And, well, you're getting this, I hope. You need God. Man was created to need God. Man was created to need his creator. That word enough, it's a, it's a strong word. The problem with saying that you're enough on that level is just because I say that you aren't enough doesn't mean that you feel like you are enough. Jesus takes Philip through the process. And it goes like this. The process that some of you may be going through that process with Philip right now. Jesus expresses the fact that they cannot buy enough bread to meet the need that is in front of them. Is that you right now? There's not enough to meet the need. You can't buy enough. So Philip starts calculating, and Philip's personality is such that he wants to be the CFO in this situation and also the accountant, and he wants to plan it. And he finally says this, eight months' wages, and that's 200 denarii, eight months' wages, a laborer's wage for a day, it would not be enough for each person to have a bite. That's pretty good calculating, isn't it? To calculate it down to where every person gets one bite. Well, that means there was 25,000 bites. I love it when calculators calculate, aren't you? A bite. If we took a half year's wages, he's calculating what he thinks they will need for the situation they're in. Now, I would say that most of us are pretty good at calculating, aren't we? Well, Brother Jerry, I kind of try to keep a pretty good eye on it. I know just about what I'm going to need. I understand. But the Bible said then there was another personality that appeared. Did you hear it in the story? The Bible said, but then there was another disciple, and his name was Andrew. He was Peter's brother. And what did he say? He said, there's a lad here. There's a lad here. Philip said, we can't do this. It just don't add up. The way I figure it, every one of these 25,000 people might get a bite if we cut it really, really close. But then here comes Andrew and says, I found a lad here and he's got something. What's he got? He's got five fish, two loaves, Five fishes, five loaves, two fishes. Yeah, that'll get it right in a minute. And, and then Andrew said this, but what is that? But what in the world is that? 
He thought enough to pack a lunch, but he wasn't an overpacker like Debbie, so he didn't care about anybody else but himself. So he's got this little packed lunch that somebody packed for him, and Andrew happened to find it. Now, I've got this thing in my mind, mind's eye of them walking through the crowd. Hey, have you got anything? You got anything? You ain't got nothing? You got it? You got anything? Okay, y'all got anything over there? And, uh, ain't got nothing? I imagine they went through the whole crowd, walked through the crowd. And all they came up with was a little boy that had a sack lunch of sardines and crackers. And then Andrew added his commentary, but what is that? My Lord, I shouldn't have even wasted my time coming up here telling you about crackers and sardines. What is that among so many? Have you ever stood and looked at a situation and said, oh, that's not possible. I'm not going to make it through that. I am going down. That's, that's one that's going to get me. But thanks be to God. Now, I need to tell you, I've got one of both of those guys inside me. I got one of both. I got a Philip inside me, and I got an Andrew inside of me. And sometimes Philip gets the best of me, and sometimes Andrew gets the best of me. But I've got both of them inside. One of them is saying, You can't do it. And the other one is saying, well, here's a lad, and he's got a, something to start with. And you know what I found out? This is a quote. You might want to write this one down. The voice that you listen to will determine the experience you walk through. The voice that you listen to will determine the experience that you walk through. What's that, Pastor? It means whoever you're listening to is going to determine whether you make it or don't make it. And sometimes you're listening to people that are giving you some information that will ensure that you're not going to make it. And the worst friend you've got is the person that will speak gloom, despair, and agony on you. Woe is you. Brother, you need to get away from that kind of stuff as quick as you possibly can. Did you hear this, Pastor? And find someone that will speak positive things into your life and tell you you're a winner, not a loser. You're ahead and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're going over. You're not going under. You're a blessing, not a curse. Amen. You're a, you're a victor, not a victim. You want me to keep going? You just need to understand that God wants you to be blessed and healed and wants you to be delivered and wants you to be happy and have good things. God wants the, those things for you. But they cannot happen in your life if you constantly are letting your ears be garbage cans for people to use and tell you all the dismal, terrible things. 
So these disciples have walked all through the crowd and found something, something. And when they found it, they brought it to Jesus. Brother, everybody's got something. I said everybody has got something. It may not be big in your estimation. It may not be humongous and it may not be outstanding, but you got something. And when he carried it to Jesus, you know, all of us dads are, are heroes at certain times in our children's life. Man, when Brian was five and six, we'd get out and pitch the baseball and We'd catch and we'd throw the football and we'd shoot hoops and play horse. And my Lord, Randy, I was a LeBron. <laughs> Brother, when we played baseball, I was Babe Ruth. But when we played football, I was Johnny Unitas. But as he grew up, he finally found out that dad is not Babe Ruth and dad is not Jimmy Connors and dad is not Mickey Mantle and dad is not Bob Cousy. And I hate the day he found that out. <laughs> I sure wish I could have kept him from finding out You ever wrestle with any of that? Afraid they're going to find out that you really don't have it all together. That you really don't have a clue about things that you're just faking that you do and hoping that they don't find out. How many of you get up and go to work some mornings hoping that they don't find out that you really don't know what you're doing? that you go through life afraid that maybe they'll find out? How many of us live our lives in fear of when are they going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing? Some of you go to work with that, like I said. Isn't it crazy that the disciples didn't find out until they ran out? Why would Jesus... Do something like that to them. Once they became empty, then they found out that yes, John the Baptist has been killed. And they retreated so that Jesus wouldn't be taken by force as a king because he didn't come for an earthly kingdom and he still had more work to do. Come on, Olivia. And when he withdrew, they found out and were waiting for him. And when the disciples found out that there was not much daylight left. They wanted to send them away because there was no DoorDash on that mountain. You don't know what DoorDash is. Ask your wife. She'll tell you when you go home. Sometimes you got to walk around your heart and take inventory and see what's left. Sometimes you got to walk around in your own soul and see what you already have.
You got to ask your soul sometimes some questions. Have you ever just had a good conversation with your heart, with your mind, with your soul? David inquired of his soul with him. He said, oh, my soul, why art thou so discouraged? Why art thou so disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Praise the Lord. On one occasion he said, Oh my soul, oh that I had the wings of morning, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Brother, how many times have you said, I wish I could just fly away. And get out of all this that I'm going through. I, I wish I could just flap my wings. And who was the snowbird girl that said she'd flap her wings and fly away? When they started realizing I've already got something. When, when they walked through the crowd, when they walked through and they found that boy that brought, and they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus multiplied the supply until everybody, the Bible said, ate until they were filled. Filled and then some. Boy, that's a great thought. Good message. Then some. Enough and then some. Wow. That's what God does for every one of us. When you realize you got something. But did you... Did you get that part? Faye loves it when I come down, she said. Did you get the part where it said, and there was a place there, and it said, and there was much grass. Much grass? Well, what's that got to do with anything? We're talking about sardines and crackers. What in the world's grass? got to do with it. A basket and disciples and one who's a calculator and one's a, a, a need supplier. How in the world did this grass get in the situation? There was much grass there. Well, it's because God wanted us to understand that there's some things in our life that there's plenty of. Plenty of. Susan, I dare say over at your house there's some things you got plenty of. And I know Randy's got plenty of whatever he's got. Plenty. Sam, I bet down at Michaelville you got a place down there where you got plenty of something. So every one of us in our life, somewhere there's plenty. And the Bible said, make the men sit down. And Mark said that that grass was green grass. There's a lot of it. And God said, I want you to know that though you think that there's not much of what you really need, there's some things that you've got that there's a lot of. And every one of you in this house, rather than concentrate upon the things that you think are so small and you're just about out of and wonder where the next is going to come from, praise God for the things that there's plenty of. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, think on these things. How long has it been since you praised God for what you got? 
How long has it been since you said, thank you, God, for the house I live in? Thank you, God, for that car that I drive out there. Thank you, Lord, for the clothes in my closet. Thank you, Lord, for these shoes on my feet. Thank you for some money in the pocket to buy my wife some lunch today at, on Sunday dinner. Thank you, Lord, that I woke up this morning and feel good and able to walk around and got my help, and I just thank you for that. How long has it been since you just spent time thanking God for what you got rather than moaning and groaning about something you don't know? About why don't God give me this? Well, look at what he's already given you. Didn't think he's going to hear that kind of sermon this morning. Thought he was going to shout like we did last Sunday, huh? Well, sometimes I just need to talk to you and tell you that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And that the blessing that we have that are accrued to our hearts and our lives You know, the, the real trouble with this story, and then I'm, I'll be through. The Bible said after they had fed the 5,000 men and all the kids and the children and everything and the wives, got the whole bunch fed out of that one little, the, Jesus said, take up the fragments. And the Bible said they took up 12 baskets of fragments and put them in the boat. And Jesus said to the disciples, now go to the other side of the lake, I'll be on. And the Bible said, and Jesus went into the mountain to pray. Wow. And the next verse said, and as they sailed, as they sailed, a storm came up on the lake. And the Bible said, and the waves began to roll and get angry. And the Bible said, they rode and they struggled against the waves and their lives were in jeopardy. And the Bible said they were so fearful and so frightened. And the Bible said, And Jesus came unto them walking on the water. The Bible said, For he saw them. He was in the mountain praying, but he saw them in jeopardy on the lake. And Jesus came walking to them. Now they first thought he was a ghost. ghost and they were all so scared over seeing a ghost they lost their fear of the storm and started fearing the ghost and Peter said that's not a ghost that's the Lord Jesus that's the master and he said Jesus if that's you tell me to come to you and Jesus said come You mean Jesus asked him to do something impossible? No, Bear Bright could not walk on water. But Jesus said, come, come on. Now, I imagine Jesus was very proud of Peter when he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I imagine Jesus was really proud of Peter when he preached on the day of Pentecost. But he was never more proud of Peter than he was the day he climbed over the edge of the boat and stepped out on the water and began walking to Jesus. What a sight. 
And the Bible said they got him back in the boat and listen to what Jesus said. He said, wherefore didst thou doubt? Oh, ye of little faith. You know what? He was standing on the fish, the leftover fish from the last miracle. See, some of you, before God gets through with one miracle, you're already shaking in your boots, standing on his last miracle. Good point. You ought to write that one down. Wow. Stand with me. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know Thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Him. Jesus, Savior, Lord, and friend, just to know that thou art with me, twill be with me till the end. Sing it. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Stick your hand out this way and let me pray with you. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these people today that have heard this gospel message. And I thank you for the truth that you are with us and that little things like us small boy's lunch can be used to do mighty things like feed a crowd of 25,000. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name this morning that this little effort of mine to lift up Jesus as the answer for all of our dilemma will help this congregation to come to the knowledge also and the wisdom that you can trust Jesus. And if you cast your care and cast your life upon him, he will care for you and lead and guide you through all of life's difficult circumstances and bring you safely to be with him. I praise you and I thank you and I thank you for every hand that is stretched in this direction. And I pray, Lord, that every individual today will do as the message has said 
and put all that we have into the hands of Jesus. We bless you and praise you in departing from your house in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you and God go with you is our prayer.